was so cool because when I walked in and and uh, and got here, I was in Dallas last night and and with my son, he pastors a, a youth ministry there at Trinity Church in Dallas. So I got to preach. It was so cool because I'm standing there. There's hundreds of students, and my son and my daughter-in-law um, are standing there, and they're gonna have some babies soon, pretty much, or they can't come home. And um, I told them the name. I wanted to name it yesterday, and they told me no. And uh, but I was on stage last night, and, and I looked over at my son, and he just loves students. And I looked over at Nate, and, and I just got kind of messed up. Because, see, I believe in generational anointing. And the Lord spoke to me a minute ago when I was standing over here. There's somebody in here in ministry, and your child is in a war. Who is that? Where are you at? Is there anybody in here? Your child's been in a war. You're in ministry, and there's an attack coming on him. And the Lord says that, that he is, where are they? Where are you in the back? I mean, it's, it, it's embarrassing, isn't it? That's what, the, that's what the church world will tell you. That's embarrassing. But I'm going to tell you it ain't embarrassing because the enemy hates the seed of the anointing. And, and he tries to take our babies out of the game. And the Lord spoke to me and said for me to tell you to hold on. That there, there is a, um, there's a wind of the spirit going to blow into their bedroom. And you need to know God says you will not lose them to the world. I don't know. Uh, they were anointed at six years old and the enemy has been trying to rob that anointing since six years old and and in teachers reports and and doctors lies and all kinds of other things and God says take your baby he says stretch your hand out stretch your hand out grab him by in the spirit grab your child by the grab, grab your child right here by the nap uh, and, and pull him up mama out, out of the pit Judah pulled him up. I got a new message for Sunday in Oklahoma. It's about how praise will pull you out of the pit. The Lord just spoke it to me a minute ago. And uh, <laughs> hey, listen, I steal everything. And I'm not, not giving you an offering. I'm not. Mm -mm. First person who went to heaven was a thief on the cross. Don't tell me a good sermon because I will take it. <laughs> got another word. I wrote it down on my phone when I was standing over here. You know what I found out? Everybody wants a new wineskin. You just don't want the, wor the, the, the wine to ferment once it gets in there. And, and uh, you think it's supposed to happen instantly. And the Lord, uh, you know, he don't serve wine till it's time. And, and you need to understand that, that uh, I, I went through something for about a year. From I was in uh, 2012. I was in um, Gettysburg in October and the Lord woke me up early one morning and he said, go dance before me in the minefields. And I said, I, God, I'll, I'll get arrested. I can't do that. And, but I had been walking through some things. But it, little did I know that it would lead into 2013. And 2013 was trust on trial for me. And, and in the midst of all of it, wrote two books. It's crazy. And, and most of the new book, I don't, I seriously feel like the Lord took me up to, to share it with me. And. Because I was reading over it. I'm going, I didn't write that. And uh, my wife said, where did you get? I don't know. And, but anyway, from October of 2012, from the moment I danced before the Lord in a minefield, and he said, I'm putting a new wineskin on you, till uh, October of 2013, I had to walk through a season. And I didn't know that it would open up the prophetic like I'd never seen before. I didn't understand all that. But I was at a football field, uh, football field in 2012. Uh, just, just last October and I got off the plane and I had been walking through you know in ministry we're kind of like a hard drive we just we build up and build up and build up and there's just no more memory space and uh, until you defrag and and I, I got off the plane from speaking at a men's conference in Florida I don't know why I'm telling you this uh, but but 
I went to a football field with my wife, and we like to go run at night, and our daughter go, was at cheerleading practice. And, and, and my wife looks at me, and she said, because something happened last year uh, that I took offense to, not with her, but something in our family. And, you know, family will hurt you the worst. They're the ones that will sit around the fire and not believe you can kill the giant. And, and, and so all of a sudden, I, I standing there, and my wife said, oh, I, God wants to free you. And, and I said, because we're, we're so great at putting the mask on when we preach, aren't we? We're so great. And, and I can tell you, I had went through one year of closed heavens. Everybody preaches about open heavens, but you haven't preached about closed heavens. Closed heavens when you gotta, is when you're living off of what, what he gave you yesterday, and he's still performing in today. But you walk out of the pulpit, and, and you go, where are you, Lord? And the teacher doesn't talk when he gives a test. And you walk through that season where you're going, God, where are you? In fact, I think my next book will be called Living Under Closed Heavens because it's the glory to glory stage. Nobody talks about that. We love the glory but we don't like the bridge to it and 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 so all of a sudden I'm standing at this football field where my son played ball and, and a lot of family memories and and I looked at my wife and I said God has gonna have to deliver me because or else I'm done with ministry now this just happened in October so so go ahead if, if you're one of those judgment people do it and <laughs> but all of a sudden I looked at my my, my sweetheart and I said Karen and I mean, nobody knew it. Nobody knew what I'd walk through for a year. Just a, nobody knew. I couldn't tell nobody. I just, and I'm holding her hand and I said, if he don't deliver me. Because I had forgiven and gotten all this stuff out. Of, but I wasn't free. Because scars take a while. You know, we see a lot of scars disappear on people's bodies when I'm preaching. And in fact, in the book, Why Has God So Mad At Me? I was at the ramp preaching when a girl's whole body that was scarred up like a road map. She was watching the ramp. Uh from Detroit and God healed her completely she went to the bathroom to wipe her makeup I was preaching weeping lions and roaring lambs and she 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 went to the bathroom to wipe, wipe off her makeup and came back uh, and, and she looked in the mirror and her whole body was she hated herself and because it's you know cutting is the only pain you can control and so so then the Lord did that but I think sometimes in ministry we just we love to dress over our scars, don't we? I'm going to get real in a minute. And so all of us, this is October. I, I did not plan on doing this. I had all this stuff I wanted to say. And, and, but I grabbed Karen by the hand. It's in October. It's October 14th, one year to the day from dancing in the minefields. You've got to dance where you could die. And, and you, you, you cannot preach where you haven't survived. And... And, and so all of a sudden, I, this is a minister's conference, right? I'm in the right place, right? I'm not a youth convention. I don't have to rah, rah you. I, I'm going. And so I, I, I took Karen by the hand, and I began to walk. And the Lord said, declare my word. Because I said, if I get to that end zone and you don't set me free, I quit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done, God. Flown two million miles. Preached to two million people. But I'm done. Because if you can't deliver me from a fence... I refuse to poison those I preach to. And so as I'm walking, I begin to quote the word, and the word began to pour out, and I began to weep uncontrollably. I got to the 50-yard line. I said, God, I'm 44. This is where I'm at in ministry. I'm at the 50-yard line. I said, I'm done. I'm done. Up there, where my son played football, where he got football scholarships, where up there. And Karen's holding my hand. People are running around. I mean, they, we, we probably, we're like the Adams family in the town anyway. And... I'm the, I'm the only guy in my neighborhood that gets up early in the morning and, go and does Ezra and take walks through my yard proclaiming 
reclaiming my land every week. No sickness, no death, no, no lack. And, and I'm holding Karen's hand, and as I begin to walk, I begin to spout the scripture. I begin to, the word just start, I start throwing up the scripture. That's when you know you read the word. And it just starts throwing it up. I mean, it's just, I'm just chunking it. And, and about, about the time, my wife's holding my hand, and she's going, you got to get free. You got to get free. You got to get free. And as I went to step over the goal line, because it was a fence. It wasn't perversion. It wasn't any of that. So it was a fence, a fence, a fence. And offended people are dangerous. And, you preach from your pain, not from your healing. And, and so I went to step across the 50-yard line. And when I did, it was gone. And I began to dance before the Lord. It lifted. Now, that was one of those moments. I don't know why I shared that because I think maybe in a minute when we come to the altar, because when humanity meets divinity, that's an altar call. I think in just a minute when we come to the altar, because I believe in altar calls. I'm tired of going to, I won't go to places that don't believe in them anymore because they, they want you to preach with a feather, not a sword. And Jesus said, I came to separate the sheep from the goat. And you know what a goat is, a goat to eat anything and don't ever turn your back on it. And, and. And so you got to understand, he said I, uh, tonight, and I'm, I'm sharing this for a reason because I'm about to go into a very heavy word that I wrote this morning on the plane. And that's the problem with preaching at the ramp. Because I get really good messages and I start preaching them because I'm an evangelist. And so I get these messages that just start working. But every time I come here, God says, write something new. And it frustrates me. Because I like preaching enough where I'm just like glancing at them notes. What? What? Oh, yeah, I got to memorize what? Instead, I got to do John Hagee right up in there. And, and I'm just kidding. He's a, he's a, he's a hero. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that negative. He just like, I can't believe I said that. I am so stupid. But the Lord gave me a word this morning. I got to preach to you. I, I, I got to share this with you. I, I got to share this. It's burning in my spirit. I got to preach a message tonight. And, and by the way, by the way, in about a week and a half, this is going to hit the nation. And it's called I am remnant. And it's a prophetic word for a generation to rise up in truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to check it out back there, you can. There's a there's a poster. It's 34 prophetic words that God gave me. And and the, the other book that I just wrote, Why Is God So Mad at Me? But, but you, can, you can check all that. Sean uh, Smith did, uh, and, and did the four, but it's, it's pretty powerful. There's some really mean chapters in it. Um, but it's about the fact that in the darkest of times, God always raises up a remnant. What's the remnant? Romans 11.5 says, so too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. You know what the remnant means? I don't know if you've ever laid carpet. I did in high school and college. And we always threw away these pieces of carpet that didn't fit. That's called the remnant. But if we sew them all together, we're going to blanket a generation with truth. Now, I want to warn you, because if you start reading it, you start reading it. I know I want you to know truth is the new hate speech. So you got to be careful because I tell the truth in there. The chapter on abortion, it's truthful. The chapter on the Oscar goes to about celebrity Christianity. We'll get that in a moment. So if you want to check that out. Those two books are, are for discipleship of a generation. Grab your Bibles, open quickly to Judges, the, the, the 16th chapter. I've, I, I believe this sermon's only going to be about seven hours. And, and y'all are in Hamilton, so don't worry about eating. There, I love this town. And so, because we can have church, because everything closes before we get done. And so, I love this place. 
I feel like I'm at home tonight because I honor this house. And I believe this house has been handpicked to lead the revolution in America. And you are in the safest, most powerful anointing place you could ever walk into. Grabbing your Bibles, look at Judges chapter 16. I'm so honored to be here. You know what? You ever feel like, why in the world am I here? But I must preach a message simply titled, You Can't Cut My Hair. Wrote it this morning on an American Airlines flight. See, God gave me 34 mandates for a generation, and one of them is that the remnant are private worshipers with public voices who seek only the revelation of God's kingdom and not their own empire. Do you know what I've learned? The anointing is worth everything you're willing to give up in order to keep it. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 16, looking at verse 20, then she said, now this is a familiar passage of scripture. We all love Samson. I loved Samson when I was growing up. My parents were former drug addicts. They got saved when I was five. And when they get saved out of sin like that, literally everything is illegal from that point on. And, and so we couldn't play with normal superheroes. I was Samson. And I used to beat my brother and treat him like a Philistine. You know what I'm saying? And, and so you, you got to understand, I mean, we weren't even, you, you couldn't even watch TV after eight o'clock. The A team would send you to hell. And so... So when you get pulled out of sin like that, I mean, you kind of go far way over there where everything is a sin. And so we had to change our superheroes to Bible people. And so I was I would beat my brother up and say, you are a Philistine. Come here. Let me catch your tail on fire. <laughs> Poor Scott. He still has a twitch. So I love Samson, but but Samson is a judge and that's what we've lost in the church is the judge because we have a compassion crisis don't we 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 want to tell people how we love them so much we love their flesh so much we won't tell them the truth about their soul that might be the title of my next book i'm, I'm rest let's move on but the bible says in judges chapter 16 verse 20 then she said the Philistines are on you, Samson. And he woke up thinking, I'm going to go preach like I used to preach. I'm going to go lay hands on people and see signs and wonders like I used to. I'm going to go lie my way through and cover my flaws. Because God is my front and rear guard. He woke up thinking, I'll go out as I always have and treat the anointing flippantly. And I'll shake free because see, Samson was a Nazarite. He had seven braids. And so when he would wake up, he would hit himself with his anointing. So when it says he would shake himself, his anointing would punch him in the face but he didn't realize that God had abandoned him I've got news for you tonight the hair of the Samson church is growing back 
I've got news for you. He spoke to me on a flight this morning. There's a move of the Spirit coming to America. I've had dreams and visions. I have a sleep disorder called Revelation. I can tell you I've been seeing crazy stuff lately. I can tell you I was sitting, and I may have shared this last time I was here. I wrote about it in the new book. Uh, sitting at the table and, uh, in, 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 a, in a diner, and, and um, you were with me and other key leaders and we were turning it and we were listening it as it landed on stations and it said outbreak of God in Charlotte Stadium people worshiping turned it again outbreak of God the remnant is rising outbreak of God in Detroit outbreak of God in New York outbreak of God in LA outbreak of God in Miami outbreak of God and and I woke up weeping and it was midnight on my clock and my wife woke up and said Jesus is in our bedroom and I jumped up and I said he's coming back to America he's not done contrary to what's being preached by all the revelatory ones he ain't done with my nation he's not done I told a friend of mine yesterday from Europe I told a friend from Europe yesterday I said you keep winning Europe it's the dark continent but I'm not done with America I'm a missionary to this nation and I still believe there's a remnant that's about to rise up in this nation I'm telling you the truth he's not done it doesn't matter who's in the White House it doesn't matter what's going on in the government it doesn't matter about budgets and ceilings and food stamps and all the other stuff everybody's talking it doesn't matter what's going on let them send their terrorists to threats because i'm here to tell you something my god has not walked away from my nation yet but we're about to move into the season of the judges and we're about to move into the season of the remnant he did not realize that god had abandoned him that really is the same thing is said of Saul, which means his name means uh, known by men. David's name means hidden. It really is one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible because I've learned that, that the, the, the devil comes in quietly, but he leaves loudly. Jesus usually comes in loudly, but he'll slip away quietly. Until you've cast a devil out, you won't understand that. The other side of scripture in the Bible is, is found in Matthew chapter 7. It's what I call the forgotten. There's three things that are forgotten in the Bible. Number one, Matthew 25, 48. The Bible says, I knit you together in the womb. Psalms 139. I wrote the chapters of your life, but if you don't choose him and confess through your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be forgotten. He loves you so much, he's got to say, can't remember you. Depart from me. But then the other group that's forgotten is found in Matthew chapter 7. What he called workers of iniquity or workers of lawlessness. Remember it says, but we cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We performed miracles. And Jesus said, I never knew you because that word uh, worker of iniquity literally means to twist the anointing for personal gain. The other thing that is forgotten in the Bible is my sins. But tonight... come to tell you that the enemy has been trying to cut your hair and from the moment you said yes to this thing called ministry alarms went off in hell and if you've not been coming up against the devil it's because you figured out a way to run with him and God told me to come and tell you tonight the hair grows back would you watch this video? Would you, do just, would you watch this video to, to set the transition in place? Just watch the video for a second and then I'll preach. You can't cut my hair.
proud of my team they created all this in about two hours today they hate it when I fly and the problem was I was on one of those little planes that doesn't have internet so I waited till I landed and I said everybody get busy right now I got a new sermon did we just lose power okay good that got scary I guess the reason why I'm preaching is because I travel this nation and I'm in churches every Sunday. And the problem is I've seen the headless bride. Because the Bible says in Ephesians that Christ is the head of the church, but we're living in a day of post-Christless church. We're living in a day where we really don't want him to visit our churches because we are so good at doing it without him. We're living in a day where we fired the Holy Spirit because grace has now told us we don't need to be convicted. I'm writing a new sermon for next week. Where right now it's called an interview with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to bring indictments against him because of all the stuff he's done. The reason why he keeps getting fired. But we might hire him back. But we're really good at having Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. And so you've got to understand, I must preach on this because you know what I've learned, though, about God? He always chooses the wrong people. I don't know who's in charge of the talent scouts in heaven, but, but he picks the worst people, the most flawed, jacked up people. I mean, people that are just so made. And we look good up here, but it's the light shining off the armor. Don't get close. You'll figure out where to stick the knife. And, and so you, you've got to understand, God always chooses the wrong people. All these people at Ramp School of Ministry, forward they're all just messed up most of them have so many scars but they have learned that their scars were end where his begins and it's impossible to have compassion without having pain and they've learned that what you've been through is a great indication of who you're called to and they've also learned that no good soldier is a good soldier without a few scars to prove he's been in battle but you've got to understand i want to talk to the ones in here that god shouldn't have chose because that's me i have been accused of having add but i won't take the test So I don't know. When I get to heaven, I am going to the heaven employment agency and say, are you serious? Because I don't know about you, but I have seen people that are way more qualified than me. When you begin to believe that you're the God's gift to the church, then you 
sooner or later become the doormat of the church because people are looking for real. They are tired of fakes. And, and, the, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, this is one of my favorite verses, especially the Message Bible. And I love this verse because it just, it just, in fact, I want you to stand up if I read your resume. If I were to read anything that applies to you, I need you to stand up. I need to make sure I'm preaching the right sermon. But the, it says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best. Among you, not many influential. The rest of you people, get up. <laughs> not many from high society families. If you are, we want to talk to you later. <laughs> Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks, exploits, and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? Give my God a praise. Because if you could stand up right there, you're anointed. You may be seated. But I must share concerning someone by the name of Samson tonight. He's a familiar figure in the Bible. Everybody likes to talk about Samson. And, he, you know, we've heard all the jokes. He's a he-man with a she-man issue and all that kind of stuff. But he was really created to torture the devil. But once again, God trusted a very flawed individual with his covenant. I mean, Samson was the coolest guy. He was, he was, I don't know if you ever watched wrestling growing up or wrestling when you're growing up, but, but, but there was a guy there. I've got a friend I was with last night in Dallas. He used to be a, a pro wrestler and we were talking about this guy at a five guys cause that's healthy. And that's where you go after you preach that won't settle in there. And I said, did you ever know Hacksaw Jim Dugan? And he's like, oh, I knew Jim well. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome because I just, he was a freak. He's cross-eyed. He, he, he was huge. He carried a two-by-four. I mean, I love that guy. That's what I think Samson was like until I began to study it. And really, Samson probably was the skinniest guy in town. Because he had supernatural human strength, God-given strength, because God touched him. He probably looked like he could have been blown over with a leaf blower. He wasn't huge. He wasn't like these right here. What? Uh, yeah. I, I, just, I just, I lied. My son grabbed my arm last night. I said, it's like an old python sucking on a rabbit, isn't it, boy? <laughs> he said, no, Dad, it's not. I don't care how old you get, you have to talk trash to your children. <laughs> Told my daughter today, I was working out real quick. I got off the flight and finished the message and went down to work out real quick. And my daughter was doing gymnastics. And I told her, I looked over and I said, I could do that. She's flipping on the bar and, and she has a little bit of help because she's Asian. <laughs> and I looked over and I said, I could do that. And she goes... <laughs> I don't know what she meant. <laughs> Samson had two things going for him. He had covenant and he had anointing. If you ever put those two things together, it's going to be, it's just going to get, going to get dangerous. And, and I love the history of Samson. You can study it in Judges 13 through 16. And, and, and unless you're one of those youth pastors that just reads the New Testament because you don't understand the Old Testament was Christocentered and you're off balance. And. But 
he was one of the last judges. And you've got to understand, he lived during a time when God was punishing the Israelites by giving them into the hands of the Philistines. And, and he, his dad's name was Manoah. And, he, and he, his dad and his mom could not have children. So the angel of the Lord, which was actually God, came down and saw him and said, you're going to have a child. And he didn't believe at first. He just thought he's going to die. And that you haven't been in a good service till you think you're going to die. And... And all of a sudden, his wife had to convince him, we're not going to die, baby. We're going to live. We're going to have a son. And, we're gonna... and the, the angel Lord said, he's to be a Nazarite. Now, the Nazarites had three rules. They, number one, don't cut their hair. Number two, don't drink alcohol. And, and then number three, don't come near anything dead. <laughs> we're not going to go there. Even though I'll be straight up because I write about it in my new book. I'm not doing something that opens doors to the devils. Because I know my family history. And for all of you in here that thinks it's okay, well, Pat, don't be religious. Let me tell you something. You haven't visited your grandmother in an alcoholic tank. I'm so tired of going to places where they say, oh, if you don't believe drinking's okay, then Pat, you're just, you're just religious. Well, I'd rather be religious than be in rehab. So don't talk to me about that because I'm the wrong person to talk about it because I've been on planes where I've turned down alcohol over the ocean after preaching in Australia on the way to Singapore and a couple walk up to me and they saw me turn down alcohol on the plane and they walk up to me and they say, I just want you to know you're at our church this Sunday. We just saw you preaching in Australia in Melbourne and they said, we just want you to know we watched you the whole flight. Thank you for being real. So if I offend anybody about my stand on certain issues, you don't know my family history. But I can take you to the graves. So they give birth to a child and they name him Samson, which means child of the sun. And and in and, and, and Judges chapter 14, Samson was just a beast. Everybody was afraid of him. I mean, he, he, he did not know how to put, use the anointing that was on him. You know, we always judge people in the early years of ministry. And we love to judge them in the middle of their journey. Give them a break. If you're still judging somebody by something they did 10 years ago, then you need to encounter a thing called grace. Because if you'd have saw me 10 years ago, my goodness, if you'd have saw me as a youth pastor, I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even go in there. So the Bible says in Judges chapter 14, I'm just going to give you a brief history for, for you real quick. He, he, he wants to marry a Philistine woman, and God was actually using this to make the Philistines mad. And, and on the way, he kills a lion. And, 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 I mean, tears a lion apart with his mom and dad standing there watching, kills the lion. And, and then later, he, he's on his way to the, to the marriage engagement party, and, and he sees the same lion there on the side of the road. And inside of it is, is a cone of honey and bees. And he just leans down and takes some sustenance in and feeds his mom and dad with it because the thing that should have killed you back there God will let you eat from up here and and so there, there comes a moment where Samson is, is he just tortures the Philistines I mean he just messes with them and, and so he goes to marry a woman he shares a riddle you know the story and they get mad so he kills 30 of them and 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 then uh, and then they get really mad at him so they, they they trick him out of the woman he wanted to marry and he marries has, ends up marrying another woman and 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 so he goes and grabs 300 foxes and gets uh, you know uh sets their tails on fire and burns up their crops and so they go and burn up his family i mean it's just crazy this is a this is a mississippi family 
just loving him. I'm just kidding. So then he kills a thousand, a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a Democrat. And, and um, no, they're the donkeys. That's not bad. I'm just playing. They are the donkey. I don't, could use the King James word, but I won't. Now watch. And then he gets discouraged because he's thirsty. So God caused, in Judges 15, causes water to just come out of nowhere. I mean, God took care of this guy. He was anointed. I mean, we, we know that, that, that he, he later would, would go to, to lie down with a prostitute in Judges 16. And they would lay in wait to kill him. And he'd just get up in the middle of the night because he could hear him out there and tear the gates of the city off. But then towards the end of Judges, the 16th chapter. And the Bible says in the middle of, at the end of chapter 15, that Samson judged the Philistines for 20 years. As if the story ended it's it's like it stopped at chapter 15 and then moved into chapter 16 and talked about Delilah Delilah then comes Delilah 20 years of ministry you know what I've learned? When you won't protect what God has given you, then you've joined the choir of the fallen angels. Samson's a judge, and he used his anointing to cover his flaws. And Without the anointing, he was just an ordinary guy with a lust problem. But, but the anointing doesn't remove your flaws. It just sustains us long enough to excuse our humanity. And, and in 1 Corinthians 2.5, it says those who are spiritual should judge things. We're called to be the judge, but we, we don't do that anymore because the enemy has been cutting our hair. We've lost our strength to do that. And, and, and so you've got to understand, we're now living in a time of human effort. The church has moved to human effort, and we've told God, we don't need that anymore because you don't work in our microwave services. You don't work in... And, 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 and you, you do understand the word. it says the greater works. That wasn't intended for you. And you're building your empire. It was building for the kingdom. In fact, in John 14, 12, Jesus said, very, very, um, uh, it says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater. The, the even greater wasn't about me. It's about who we're called to minister to. But when the gospel becomes our job, the good news becomes just a job for us, then the good news becomes bad press because you've got to understand that, that and the Lord gave this to me today on a plane. So if, I, if I'm looking at notes, please forgive me, but this always happens when I come here. And, and, but we're living in a day where nice messages and sweet services simply allow demons to relax and make fodder of God's people because we, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, you can preach to the choir. That's what I'm doing here because I know what happens at the ramp. I live for this place. I come in here and immediately feel a fresh touch of heaven hit me and a wind of God. I was standing with, with Samuel over there and he put his hand on my back and, and the fire of God shot through me and I went, my goodness, what is going on? And I looked up over his head and I saw, I saw the horn of oil dripping on him and, and, but so I come here and I get kind of messed up, but I, I need to warn you about some things right now because I'm kind of getting in trouble around the nation because I just wrote a new article for Charisma called Is Relevant Still In? And 
And, and it comes out next week, and, and i got to have some people praying because it's kind of intense about the first love that we've lost. And, and because we'd rather have relevant than remnant, and we'd rather have relevant than relationship because it's about how we look and how the table tastes. But if we leave them hungry when they leave, they're going to be sitting here the day after the rapture. And so what you have to understand is, I, in fact, I often wonder how many times God has simply left the room, but we're having so much fun playing church, we didn't hear the doors shut. And the Bible tells us in Malachi 1, verse 10, I believe it is. It says, please don't start another useless fire. So if you're in this room and you're wavering between two opinions because you see the church down the street kind of blossoming and blowing up right now because people are able to go in there and, and they're able to walk out looking like the way they went in. But you decided to be an emergency room instead of a plastic surgery hospital. And you're like, but if I shift, the finances will come in. If I shift, people will come in. No, God says you hold on because there's about to come a season in America where they're hungry for truth and they're going to come running in saying, I need more than that. I don't want to have my finger pricked. I want to have my heart torn apart. Oh, are you getting what I'm saying? God told me to come and tell you, hold on. Don't you bow to that thing. Don't you walk away. Don't you make up your mind you're going to rob the next generation of the encounter you had because somewhere along the way you think they can't handle it. I've never met anyone offended by the Holy Spirit. Samson was a judge. But nobody speak into his life and the remnant this is part of the manifesto the remnant is not a pulpiteer just a public speaker but rather a resuscitator of life to those whom have lost breath the remnant has chosen to leave a life of compromise for the spirit of consecration this is burning in me right now and the relevant factor is forcing the remnant out of the church I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18, and I'm hurrying. It says, don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise merely by being up to date with the times. Be, God, be God's fool. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. It's written in Scripture. Do you think you're being too harsh right now, Pat? I promise. Please know my heart. I promise I am not that guy. I am not a mean preacher. I'm not an angry preacher. I can't stand to be around him. I can't watch him on TV. I'm just a guy desperate for an awakening. To break the orphan spirit off of this generation. To let them find out what daddy love is about. For them to run and look down and see their scars gone. I'm just a guy that's so tired of going to places that don't want his power. And they have fired him. And we are living in a time where people are saying, do we really need that anymore? I'm just a guy that somewhere along the way as a bond servant of Jesus tacked my ear to the edge of the cross. And said, I will not leave this house. I'm just a guy that says... If the anointing is on you you have no choice but to declare what he's saying not what a book says I'm just a guy that still believes that God can vitally empower somebody in one moment and he can take a broken man or woman and suddenly put new armor on him and say preach my gospel somebody get excited I got messed up in October Master sees through the smoke screams of the know-it-alls, it says. I love that. Isn't that cool? Message Bible's cool. You can literally need to preach on anything and look in there. There's a scripture on it. It's awesome. 
I got to go to the bathroom. There it is. Message Bible. Need to beat my children today. My God, there it is. Thank you, Eugene Peterson. But can I say something really clear to you? I love the anointing. I love the anointing because a little redneck kid from Anion, Alabama, God says, I'm going to raise you up, boy. I'm like, why? My wife and I laugh. We had one red light in my city, in her city in Georgia. It had half a red light. They were broke. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You just drove through it, if, but you had to dodge deers. And... But the anointing is part of God's mathematical equation that he's put on your life on the chalkboard of heaven. He has addition, subtraction, dividing, little multiplication. I'm going to leave out algebra because I didn't get along with that. I'm called to preach. I don't need no algebra. But the anointing is what breaks the yoke of bondage. That's what it says in Isaiah 10, 27. It says that the yoke will be broken because of the fat. Your anointing, that word there in the Hebrew is shaman. It means you get so fat in your worship and word that things have to break off of you. The New Testament, one of the, the, the major word for the anointing is creo, and it, it means touched for a purpose. Christ the anointed one, it means furnishing with power i love luke 4 18 i love what it says in the amplified version it says the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me the anointed one the messiah to preach the good news the gospel to the poor he has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to send forth a deliver i love that as delivered those who are oppressed who are downtrodden bruised crushed broken down by calamity i love that it says that's what god's anointed us to do it's isaiah 61 because eventually that's why we worship a that's why they're up here because they're the oaks they're the oaks of righteousness it says a planting of the splendor of the lord and that's why we worship like this because god says i planted you and no matter what storms you go through no matter what floods it can't take down an oak tree god says when i look down from heaven and see your hands like this worshiping like that he says i see an oak tree it's parliament and sometimes i go to churches and look like trees have been trimmed <laughs> I love the anointing because it allows us to see miracles and testify. I love the anointing. I love it because it's what embodies every believer that has been handpicked by God to stand for truth, authority, and freedom. The remnant, by the way, will consist of the failures, the, the, the fatherless, the forgotten, the freedom fighters, and their pedigree is that of a scarred Savior. And so, but I, I love the anointing. You're anointed. First John 2, verse 25. I love what it says right there. It, it's, it, it, it's so powerful. It says, this is exactly what Christ promised, eternal life, real life. I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you. But they're no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Christ anointing no less. You don't need any of their so-called so teaching. Christ anointing teaches you the truth on everything. You need to know about yourself and him. Uncontaminated by a single lie. Live deeply in what you were taught. I love the anointing. I love it because it's what happens when I get off a plane after flying 30 hours to a place like New Zealand. And I find out in the airport, you're preaching in two hours. And, and, and I'm, I go to my room and cry. And I'm like, my God, I thought it was tomorrow <laughs> and, and, and then they said we'll be back in two hours you're preaching to thousands of students in just a moment and I go into my hotel room and literally just like God I can't do this I've been up 30 hours and then all of a sudden I walk onto a stage in a place like that and I'm standing there waiting for my moment that God wants to use me and it's like 
something comes on you in your weakness he's made strong it's that moment when you realize I can't do this it's when you stand up to preach and your knees are knocking and you're like I sound so stupid but they don't hear you say that they hear I have been called to set the captive free it's who God raises up he raises up the ones he shouldn't raise up I love the anointing oh don't you because God's gifts and calling are irrevocable Romans 11 29 it means you can't take it from me I can give it away but you can't take it from me and and I love the anointing I love the anointing it's part of God's separation for his chosen it's what it started in Exodus 4 verse 15 remember that back then when the high priestess says anoint them just as you anointed their father to serve me as priest their anointing will bring them into a perpetual priesthood down through the generations I love generation anointing how many of you know uh, if you can have generational curse you can have generational anointing if a crack mom can have a crack baby, a Holy Ghost mom can have a Holy Ghost baby. I mean, I just believe that with all my heart. I, I just believe. I believe that. And I, I love the fact that, that when the priests would get ready to go into the Holy of Holies, they, they, they all wore the same size ephod. And if you didn't fit it, you had to learn how to grow into that anointing. I love the anointing because God chooses the nobodies. I love it when he walks up to David. <laughs> That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 16, he's done with Saul. He chooses David because David knows how to kill the lion and the bear. The lion is the thing that pounces on you. It's insecurity. And the bear, it's the thing that hides in you and it only comes out when it's hungry and you don't want to play dead with it because it'll kill you. Or you, so you, got, you don't want to wrestle with it, it'll kill you. You got to play dead. You know, the lion and the bear, those two things. Be sober, be diligent. For the devil, your adversary seeks to pounce on you like a roaring lion. Once you conquer the lion and the bear, then all of a sudden you're going to face your Goliath, which means ravaging spirit. And, and so I love David because God brings him out of the field and all of a sudden he he's standing there and his brothers are watching and and and, and the prophet Samuel is 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 walking around trying to anoint him with God's God's fingers in the barrel of it and with his horn Saul was anointed with a flask it's temporary the Lord asked me that back in October when I got free just before I got free do you have a temporary Saul anointing or do you want a David anointing because flask is man-made and the horn is God-made tired of people being anointed for a season then all of a sudden saying I'm done with ministry I can't do it anymore I'm gonna go get me a job at Verizon and then you blame God I'm not going there I could just start riding that train because I happen to believe when he held that horn over David's head the nobody the bastardly child who knew not his mother Psalm 69 it and the oil the oil began to dump and be poured down on top of him and as it poured his brothers stepped back and said no way and God shouted Yahweh and, and it was one of those moments where all of a sudden I love what it says in 1 Samuel 16 I gotta hurry because it's thundering it says and Samuel took the flag <laughs> stupid just a little filler time. And Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brothers standing around watching. And the Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind. But God is vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. That's why we have ramp weekends. One service. And they're done. It's over. He vitally anoints them for the rest of their life. The oil was dripping, and what did David do? 
I'd have, if it was me, I'd have told his brothers to bow down. I mean, I'd have been like, or your toys are mine. I'd have been like, you, Eliab, you're going to die, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you remember what you did? You're dying. And but David went back to the field because he understood the calling of God without the timing of God results in the absence of God. And he understood that he had sheep to take care of. And just because somebody prophesied over you doesn't mean it's about to happen right now. Just like he said, Elijah, it's going to rain. But Elijah had to make the prayer. Some of y'all stand around going, oh, somebody told me I'm going to preach in stadiums someday. <laughs> That's awesome. We need you to just read your Bible. Some evangelists came to your church. You know, it's always so funny because I, I didn't get prophesied over when I was little. And then I was praying one day and I said, Lord, why didn't anybody ever prophesy over me? And he said, he said, I gave them commercials. I'm going to give you a movie. I love the anointing because it empowers the ordinary. It's, I love the anointing. I love the anointing it to accomplish crazy. I love the anointing because it will take a human made of dirt and embody them and release them. It's the jar of clay verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. You know, and if you only look, if you only look at us, you might, well, miss the, miss the brightness. We carry the precious messages around in the unadorned clay pots of ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. I love the anointing it's what embodies the it's what embodies us it's what pours out on us i love i love what it says in psalms 84 verse 9 look at our shields glistening in the sun our faces shining with your gracious anointing that's what god sees when you stand up to preach i love that i love the anointing because it stays with you through thick and thin does it because as i get ready to close this is my first closing Do not confuse it with the fourth. I love what I feel in here. I feel a fresh wind in here. Y'all fought through a wall. There was a wall. There was a wall. God just showed me a wall that y'all kicked in. I just seen a wall crumbling. I don't know why he showed. It was, a, it was right just this high in front of your eyes. You thought it was higher, but it was just right there. The Lord said, you'll run through what he just told me. It's fresh anointing. It's always good, but something new. I think that there's certain leaders that God's raised up that actually believes they're ready now. Finally. Don't, you don't feel that your anointing's illegitimate. I've been there. I spent years feeling that way. I, I'm sorry. Stolen anointing equals powerless church. In Revelation 2 verse 4, I love this verse, especially in the Message Bible, because it says, but you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? I love that. I'm like, what's going on? Are you okay? It's, it's, it sounds very New Jersey-ish. Now watch. And do you have any idea how far you've fallen? A Lucifer fall. Turn back. Recover your dear Early love, no time to waste, for I'm well on my way to removing your light from the circle. But the anointing has been stolen from the church right now. Oh, I'm almost done. I'm coming to you. Hang on, baby. That's Samson. That's the church. You know, when it, I love what Michael Horton said. When everything is measured by our happiness rather than by God's holiness, the sense of being sinners becomes secondary, if not offensive. The headless bride. Living in a day where we're screaming, no, not him, give us Barabbas. 
Don't give me Jesus, because if I see Jesus, I'm going to have to change. Give me somebody that I can raise up and say, even though they're really flawed and really dirty and, and they're, they lead a murdering revolution, I can at least look at them and feel good about myself. Take my Jesus away. Crucify him again. Because, because we know that Romans 8.22, is, creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. But we're never going to see the revelation of the sons of God until we quit laughing and start groaning again. And, and Jesus promised these things. He gave us all these promises. These things will you do in my name. But wow, don't do that because that will make our church weird. Greater works shall you do like the preachers of L.A. Um, no weapon formed against you shall prosper except when the Holy Spirit is fired from our churches. Um, greater is he that, in, that is in me than he that's in this world when I tell him what to do because that's what we do. All our promises are secondary. All the promises of God are secondary to our will. We think we have the power to determine what he's going to do in a generation and he's about to bypass some places. He's about to go for a walk past some churches and some different and I'm not, I love the, I love the bride. I love the church. I love the church. I live in the church but he's about to walk past places and he's going to go and find people that are inside of caves. He's going to find 12 year olds in bedrooms crying out to God and raise them up and they'll stand on the street corner like a John Alexander Dowie or they'll beg their pastor to preach on a Wednesday night like an Evan Roberts because there is another wave of glory coming and he is paving the highway of holiness right now and it leads from Syria to Israel and God says I'm about to do this thing in this land but see you got to understand we we call forth the elders and lay hands on the sick sorry that won't fit in the lineup today on this Sunday um uh I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or really through whom I have connected with on Twitter and Instagram and and the spirit of the anti-anointing is in the church the antichrist the anti-anointed it's first John I'm, I really am almost done you have to forgive me I've never preached this before and in 1 John 2, verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. <laughs> we think the Antichrist is like this guy running around with a goatee with really pointed shoes on and looking cool and suave. Going, What's up? I'm, yes, right. I'm, G, I'm the devil's son. No, no, no. John said he came from our churches. He came from our Bible colleges. That's the Bible. For if they, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing, an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it because no lie comes from truth. And living in a time of false grace, we're living in a time of celebrity Christianity. And the only red carpet in the, in the Bible is where the blood of the martyrs was spilled. And the only roped off area was, was, was the area where they hung the hung the Christians and the only celebrities in the Bible were children and 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 if Jesus would have had handlers the woman with the issue of blood she'd have went 12 more years without getting to him and and so you got to understand we're living in a time where we smell like green rooms as shepherds instead of smelling like sheep and we're living in a time where everybody's running around saying look at me look at me look at me because if you say look at him they'll realize we don't look like him and that'll make them leave us and and so we're living in this time of the spirit of this age is to make sin seem normal and righteous and strength we're living in a time where people are preaching homosexuality is not a sin and, and they're saying oh it's okay you were born that way prove it I have an apologetic mind I've done the apologetics it can't be proven 
And I have been confronted on TV shows and on radio shows because of stuff I wrote in my book. Because I believe it's a wounded spirit that started out with, and somebody said it up here. It, uh, let me tell you how perversion starts. It always starts with fear. And then it leads to anger. And anger must birth perversion. And when you have a generation that doesn't know who's going to come through the bedroom door after them. And then they get about junior high and they're mad. Because somebody did something. And they come and knock on our office doors and they're saying, what do I do? And because we haven't prayed in so long, we don't have the power to lay hands on them and break a confused mind. And we don't have the power to look at a child and say, he didn't mess up on you, baby. He made you. He loves you. He anointed you. I wipe that lying spirit off of you. I say you are a child of God and my God doesn't mess up. I'm looking for somebody to rise up in a generation that'll stand up and realize what I found day before yesterday when my Sports Illustrated came in and it says about this young man, America is ready for this and I'm sitting there on my and I'm saying when did this become sports and I pick it up and my son still gets it I don't tell him, he hadn't lived there in four years, he still gets it it's in his name and, and I'm sitting there looking at it going, God let me meet him let me meet him and love him I gotta get done but see the problem is we won't do any of that because the judges are missing Matthew twenty two fourteen says, many get invited, but only a few make it. I don't even know how long I've gone. Please forgive me. But the remnant won't not bow to culture, but rather culture is recreated by their passion for Jesus. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, discernment is not doing, knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. And I am so tired of seeing tweets go out from ministers of the gospel that ha ha are so flaky. And they, you can tell they can't quote the word because somewhere along the way, they figured out a cool sermon and a cool illustration would fill their youth ministries and fill their churches. When is the last time you tiptoed out of your Wednesday night service saying, shh, be quiet out here. We're not playing games tonight. The glory of God is in there. Go crawl in his presence. When's the last time you walked through your service and began to prophesy over kids? Oh, you're not getting this. I'm talking to the ones in this room that God's been waiting to raise up in this room. I'm talking to the youth pastor in here in a green shirt that it has felt like resigning. And God told me to tell you not to. I don't know who you are, but I wrote it down a minute ago. And God told me to come in this room and tell you he's not done with you. And it is time for the headship of the bride to come back. But the problem is the devil has been running around and he's been running around and he's been running around and he's been taking us to the boutique and he's been cutting our hair and cutting our hair and the oil no longer can soak in because it just flows down a bald church. Paul warned of what was coming in 2 Timothy 3. He said, don't be naive. There are different times ahead. These are different times. He said, as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, con contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eating dog, bending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated, windbags, addicted to lust, allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. I don't know about y'all. I'm quitting supporting Paul's ministry after that one. He said, stay clear of them. Do you know how many green rooms I've been in lately? We're literally, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but the Lord won't let me pull my chair up to the table. And I'm like sitting back here eating like this at conferences. And I'll go to my hotel room and I'll go, why won't you let me pull my chair up? He said, 
Because you're not to be like them. I'm not slamming them. I love them. And I'll go back. I stayed up at 2.30 in the morning in my hotel room weeping on the floor. And I said, why won't you let me be like them? Why can't I talk trash? Why can't I brag about what I own? stage has the power to seduce you, leader. You know how many times I've walked out on stage and God has said to me, if will you just raise the curtain and get out of the way, son, be a stagehand. If they can see you, they can't see you. And when man begins to believe that he is the author of his own destiny, that book becomes so shallow. And the enemy is after your anointing because he lost it. He's dead. Here he comes. He just walked in the room. I got to close. He just walked in. There are people in this room that preach from your, the same phone you look at porn at in private. I'm not being mean. It's there. It screams at you, doesn't it? God spoke to me. I was getting ready to do a, a thing we do for leaders on our phone calls. Usually 100, 200 leaders on it, youth pastors and, um, every month. And, and the Lord spoke to me early one morning. And he said, Pat, there's been a spirit dispatched from hell to now make young preachers believe that they, can, they have to live like the world to win the world. When's the last time somebody went on and said, dear, is it Macklemore, is that his name? Let me tell you what the same love isn't. When's the last time somebody stood up and said, Jesus is not my Savior? When is the last time somebody tweeted that? I don't see any national leaders tweeting truth because we're afraid the wind of judgment will shift on us. And so we'll just go on TV and say, We'll just have a private conversation about that. And the enemy's after your anointing. So his goal is to torture the saints and reduce the called. And until your anointing cannot be robbed from you by the crowds, by the numbers, by the insecurity after a small youth service on a Wednesday night, until your anointing cannot be robbed from you by your circumstances and your pain, you will always sell it off as cheap lip balm to the first voice of compromise. And God says, you don't understand. I am not cheap lip balm that you can buy at the store at Walmart at the counter for 99 cents. My oil was birthed in the furnace of affliction, poured out on you by my son. And I am there with you and when I anointed you and I put it on you that calling is not it's gift and calling are irrevocable and he said I'm the one that in that middle of that youth camp service or that ramp service or that Sunday morning or Sunday night when you begin to feel the warmth of God whispering I called you I'm calling you I'm the one that called you I'm the one that keeps you I'm the one that anoints you not man and you're not your anointing is not determined by what you have to turn into a church office on Thursday morning about your numbers 
Your anointing is not determined by what the guy runs down the street because he's got a better gym than you. Your anointing is determined by the fact that God likes you that much. And when you walk into heaven, you're not going to say, I ran this amount, that amount, or knew this person. You just have to walk in and say, excuse me, sir. I was faithful. I kept my marriage bed pure. My kids saw me live it. My kids saw me lay hands on them when I was tired. I lived it. When people hurt me and they stabbed me and they left me and God told them to leave my church, I still lived it because my anointing is not for sale. What he's put on me is on me and nobody can have it. He's called me. No man can take it. No opinion, no article can take it. Somebody give my God a little bit of praise. But let me tell you as I close Come on help me a little bit Can I tell you about the day the anointing left the courtroom The judge I'm scared Because sometimes God's got 700 he's hitting. Turn the music off for me a minute. You go ahead. The Bible says Samson meets Delilah. Delilah, Judges 16. You know what her name means? One who weakens. <laughs> What's your Delilah? When somebody don't compliment you after you preach, what weakens you? The fact that the church promised you a raise, but they must have forgot. Somebody wrote me an email two days ago. Somebody I love, so I'm going to be careful. But they said, they promised me this, they promised me that, and I walked in and resigned today. What do you think? And I just emailed back and I said, I don't think anything. Yesterday morning, I said, maybe you should have called me. Some of you look at your youth ministries as a foster program, don't you? Instead of an adoption program. Because you'd leave as soon as somebody offered you a bigger house. And those kids are going, where are you going? Why is my life not enough? I know they got 300 and we only got 30, but aren't we enough? Dad, it's because you've been sitting in the Lila's barber's chair. I'm always amazed how we think we can sleep with the enemy and avoid the loss of our strength. Judges 16, verse 6, and I'll close. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength. How can how you can be tied up and subdued. And the Bible goes on to say, from verse 6 to 15, she badgers him. Because remember, her name means one who breaks you down. Youth pastor, pastor, if you don't break that failure spirit, you're going to give it to your kids. 
It's hereditary. Then in Judges 16, verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? We all think this is funny, but it's not funny because it's the blinding of the anointing. I mean, we're like, hey, fool, wake up. She's saying, don't you love me? And she wants to kill you. We, all, we think it's funny. It's so fun to preach this. But is it possible to get so tired that the enemy's in the closet and you don't care anymore? Three times. She says, Samson, the Philistines are here. He wakes up. His seven braids pull out. The ropes tear. You know the story. I don't need to go. Then in verse 20, I don't know why I'm weeping. Verse 20, it says that he wakes up and didn't know God left. Oh my God. Have you gotten so good at being in ministry you didn't realize you left him? And the Bible says she takes and cuts the seven braids. I asked the Lord today, what do the braids stand for? First braid is the. Let me find it here. The prayer life. Oh, that oil makes it hard. We'll get it. Ah, sorry. What's the second braid stem? The Lord told me today. I said, "Pop life." family life they don't need you to be the thermostat of the house anymore they you just you'd rather run and have coffee with someone that might be able to give a big tithe check family life sorry kids can't make it to your play sister so and so is having her Study life. Why study? We got the internet. Let's get rid of that. We don't need to study. I mean, I can always just go to sermoncentral.com. Let somebody else's revelation become my words, my manna. Finances. Ah, oh, that one will get you. You know, you can't even concentrate after a service on a Sunday morning. life yeah that's towards the end because we can do that while all the other stuff's in trouble we don't like to read Titus then lastly the physical life he just kills you because you won't take care of yourself because you hate yourself
Where's your anointing at? It's at that church and that church. It's in the carpet. It's just between the the last four pews where I used to lay. You know what I mean? I cut my. It's. Hello, bride of Christ. Are you ready to dance? Let's see. I'm done. And they took Samson and they blinded him. And for 20 years, the equivalent of his ministry, he pushed and ground. And with his eyes, all he can remember is what he used to do for God because he can't see anything in front of him. But I need to tell you something. The devil messed up. dropped the ball because in 1 Samuel 16 22 but the hair the hair began to grow back and as the hair began to grow back even though his eyes were shut he could shake himself can't see anything in front of me, but I know my anointing's hit me. <laughs> and God always remembers his covenant. <laughs> and the Bible says he comes to be drawn out to be made fun of a spectacle of for the whole universe. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 4, not us. And they place him between the two pillars, which we know in Christianity is faith and love. God, would you remember me one more time? Give me strength just one more time. And with one blow, let me get my revenge for losing my vision. And the Bible says as he began to push, the anointing activated again. He began to push on the pillars of faith and love. And as he began to push on them, he suddenly, in one fell swoop, the death came upon him. And as he began to die for his calling, as he pushed on faith and love, the Bible said he killed more Philistine devils in the last moment of his life than he had done in the first 20 years of his life. Because I've come to tell you something and I'm done. He told me to come and tell this place the hair of the Samson church is growing back. Devil, you gave us a crew cut. Devil, you tried to take me out. But my God, there's a remnant rising up. And God told me to tell you, He is restoring the anointing on your life. And I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've been through. But He told me to tell you, He ain't done with you. He told me to tell you, the oil still flows the same direction. He told me to come.